Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. I don't know. Part of me thinks the kid's right. He asks, what's he's done to deserve this? He wants to stay here. Fine. Let's leave him and go home. But then another part of me thinks, what if by some miracle we stay? Then actually make it out of here. Someday, we might look back on this and decide that saving Private Ryan was the one decent thing we were able to pull out of this whole god-awful shitty mess. Like you said, Captain, maybe we do that. We all earn the right to go home. Good evening, and welcome to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Saving Private Ryan. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, as always, my name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. Hello there. And to my left we have the professor, Ken. The boy is alive, and we're going to send somebody out to find him. And then we are going to get him the hell out of there. I'd like to welcome back our second two-time guest. This is Gerard. Abraham Lincoln. End of the letter, right? Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. But well, we're talking about Spielberg, and so I thought, he's talking about Lincoln already? That's we're, where we, I was. We jumped right into the pool, huh? And that's the only quote I had in my head from <laughs> yeah. one of the characters said. <laughs> Which links with my little quote. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's the end of your quote. That's great. Um, we are talking about... We're, we're here to talk about uh, saving Ryan's privates? Yes, that's what I hoped all three of you watched, because I'll tell you what, that's what I watched. Hey, speaking of... Did you want to bring something up before we got uh, into this? Yes, I want to talk a little bit about what happened to me today. Okay. Jeez. Oh, I know. I had to go see the doctor today. And at my age, they had to do a colonoscopy. Really? Still better than a scanner darkly. So what you're saying is you would rather a colonoscopy than have to sit through a scanner darkly ever again. Exactly. Wow. Those, that, wow. That's, Although that's maybe, a bold statement. I don't know if I would go that far. Um, I could think of maybe one or two movies I would rather get a colonoscopy than. But you did know, you, did you remember putting your clothes on afterwards? Yeah, but I found out they like it when you do the gown where you tie it in the back and not the front. Yeah. Especially if you're going to walk them in down the hallways. Yeah. Because when the, I went through access. that first time, I don't, you know, you go for the procedure. Next thing I know, I'm sitting and I'm dressed. Right? <laughs> I don't, that's all I remember was lay down. Here we go. And the next thing I'm dressed. I'm like, oh, God, how, how did that happen? That sounds like heaven to me, Gerard. I haven't had one yet. I'm at that age where I probably should go get one, too. But, um, yeah, I hope mine goes as well as yours did, Gerard. Well, the one question I has to, had to ask Julie afterwards is, aren't they supposed to wear gloves? Oh, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> All right, so we are talking about Saving Private Ryan. It was released on July 24th, 1998. It was directed by Steven Spielberg. Screenplay by Robert Rodat. 
And it stars Tom Hanks, Edward Burns, Matt Damon, Tom Sizemore, Jeremy Davies, Vin Diesel, Adam Goldberg, Ted Danson, Brian Cranston, Nathan Fillion, Ryan Hurst, and a whole bunch of other people. They had amazing casting in this, and some of them were just very or not well known at the time. Oh yeah, well most of them were not that well known. You like know what I mean? Vin Diesel yeah. alone, and this is one of his first big movie breaks. He only got paid a hundred thousand dollars for this, and I'm sure he would have done it for nothing. Yeah, well, I think this was his first movie break. Yeah, uh, he got his, this. It was his first feature film. Yeah, yeah, he got this on the strength of a film that he wrote and directed in '97 called Strays. Mm-hmm. Um, never seen it. Anybody seen it? No, no. Uh, it's probably hard to, to find. Yeah. Well, what about Brian Cranston? That was um, God. Or, he looks so young in that. Mm-hmm. Or what about Dennis Farina? Dennis yeah. Farina got or, thirty or, seconds. You know what I? Thirty seconds. Yeah, but you know what I was thinking was, hey, this is the second film that we've done with Dennis Farina <laughs> and Paul Giamatti. Yeah, Paul Giamatti. One thing that was interesting was for me in the casting was Matt Damon. God, he was down on the credit list. Yeah. Do you, you know, know why? I don't care why, but it was just something I noticed. Spielberg hired him on because of his all-American look, and he was a little-known actor at the time. It doesn't matter that he was a little-known. He, he had the second most important part in the movie, right? And he was, like, fourth-credited at the end. But it was very, you know, if you think about it, it was a very small role that he wasn't in much of the movie. I mean, the whole movie, like... He's in the whole third act. He's, uh, granted... Yeah. He's right, and, and I get that it's called Saving Private right, Ryan, right. but I, I don't, I mean, I, I felt that he came in exactly where he probably should have. Um, he was a little uh, unknown. Hadn't won the Oscar yet, but was right around the corner, right? Yeah. It was, yes, it was this year that he, during this time, when the movie's being rolled out, that all of a sudden, bah, he's everywhere. Yeah. He and, won the year before. Yeah. Uh, before... Uh, before... The, the, this Academy Awards were this you know for this film. Oh, okay. Goodwill good well Hunting. When gotcha. they were making the film, like you were saying, Professor uh, Spielberg wanted somebody who wasn't well known, and he didn't know that Goodwill Hunting would go on to win him an award. Right. So let's uh, talk a little bit about some of the other players. You mentioned Robert Rodat a little bit. Do you know what else he wrote? Uh, I have no idea, sir. He Lay wrote, it on me. He wrote The Patriot. The one with Mel Gibson? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah, that's probably what he's most well-known for. But he did get an Oscar nomination for Saving Private Ryan. And then John Williams. Let's talk for a moment about John Williams in this. John Williams, he has five Oscars. Four of them are with Spielberg. What for? Uh, okay. <clears throat> E.T.? Yes. Forced? No, sorry. Sorry. Um, Schindler's List. Yes. Schindler's List. Two? The other two are huge, colossal, and they're kind of sort of up on your wall. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Can I name one? Yes. Jurassic Park? N- that's not on his wall. So it's Jaws <laughs> and Raiders of the Lost Ark? It is Jaws, yes. Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars. But he didn't... Uh, oh, that's one of his five. That's the one he did without Spielberg. So, so he had he has four Oscars, and four of them were with... Um, so you have Jaws, Star Wars, because isn't... Spielberg, a producer? No. No. I thought he was a producer in that. Nope. He was a best friend uh, to Lucas, Lucas. but that's okay. about it. Yeah. So maybe it's only three then. So I think I got that one wrong. So, <clears throat> All right. And so he has 52 nominations to his name. Jeez. And that, you know, when we look at the, the span, you know, that these guys do with each other, the, this is ridiculous when it comes to his editor, Michael Kahn. Michael Kahn has 29 collaborations 29 collaborations with spielberg 
He's 87 years old. They've been doing it for over 40 years. So uh, I forgot to mention also John Williams. They have 29 movies together over the course of 49 years. Uh, Williams and Spielberg? Yes. Yeah, well, they, they're synonymous, right? I mean, uh, as uh, getting into Saving Private Ryan, you, it, you just kind of expect... A, a Williams score, you know what yeah, I mean? And you so, have to. And that's what happens when Don't they you have think that kind of collaboration. Going, calls Steven Spielberg, like once a year, what are we doing next? Oh, or 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 either or, uh, or the other way around, right? Yeah. Uh, Spielberg will go, yeah, I'll uh, 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 I'll direct that movie, and they'll go, great, and he'll, hey, John, we got a job, right? We're yeah. we're doing the next the next the next gig. But. Speaking of collaborations. Tom Hanks and Spielberg. How many collaborations have they done? Five. <laughs> Can you name them? Well, Saving Private Ryan, then Catch Me, then Terminal, and then uh, Bridge of Spies, and then Post. There's one more collaboration, but it wasn't a movie. Uh, the Band of Brothers? Band of Brothers series. Yeah. Which is totally awesome. I thought it would have been more than that. I, didn't, I thought it would have been more than that. No, uh, that sounds about right. Every time I think of Hanks, Gump, Castaway, things that Spielberg didn't do. Right, because I mean, Hanks was pretty Tom Hanks in '98, so I mean, he was everywhere. So, cinematographer Janusz Kaminski, this guy has had 20 collaborations with Spielberg, and he has seven nominations as well. And he got a win for uh, Schindler's List, and he also got nominated for Ryan. Did he win for Ryan? No, I don't think he did. Uh, I don't know. Let's talk about those wins. So it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards at the 71st Annual Ceremony, including Best Picture, Actor for Tom Hanks, Original Screenplay. The film won five, including Cinematography, Sound, Sound Effects Editing, Film Editing, and Best Directing for Spielberg, his second win in that category. Yeah. Now, what did it lose Best Picture to? Oh, God. Uh, Everybody knows. Shit. That's one of the biggest controversies yeah, in Hollywood exactly. history. But I will, and it, I, I will tell you, it's Shakespeare in Love, obviously. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, mythology or rumors and maybe even a little urban myth around that. Like Harvey Weinstein actually, you know. Apparently you influenced. have, you, you have, yeah. you have an opinion on this. Well, uh, you want to know the opinion on that. So, well, he obviously lobbied for... Um, Shakespeare in Love, yeah. and said you don't win the Oscar in the first 20 minutes of the film, blah, 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 and that type of thing. But from also from my perspective, there were three total World War II movies that were nominated that year, right? So you have Schindler's List, Thin Red Line, and Life is Beautiful, right? So does a saturation of World War II movies actually influence the voters that year? That's I said. I right. read somewhere that the people who actually voted that year, when they took an informal poll later, said that they all voted wrong. Uh, Rolling Stone. Yeah, Rolling Stone. Uh, Rolling Stone article 2015. Yeah. yeah. Well, fucking obviously. So, such a travesty. Here's your first what if, uh, the promise. So, the year before, so if let's say the schedule of Schindler's, Schindler's List got moved a little bit, you know. Schindler's List or Saving Private Ryan? Saving Private Ryan gotcha. gets moved okay. a little bit, right? So, the year before, would it have beaten Titanic? Oh, that's a great question. I would fucking hope so. Me too. But probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Not not on the role that Cameron and Titanic were on. No, no that, way. They just they steamrolled everything. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Okay. So actually, they probably delayed it, didn't they? Who knows? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So something happens. They got to go out the year after. Does it beat beat American Beauty? 
Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Right. So how much of that really is timing, right? The, the, the loss to um, Shakespeare in love. That was the first time I remember thinking, how does a director win best director, but the film doesn't win best film. I mean, it has happened before. Yes. I'm not saying it hasn't, Mm -hmm. but I guess to me logically, and in really in this instance, didn't make any sense to me. So it, it, there's no public disclosure of how close it was either. Right. right. It could have been super close. It could have been a landslide. We'll never know. Um, but my, I would have voted for life is beautiful. Great movie. Very, you guys seen that? It's so somber. Well, let's put it this way. It's very risk taking, right? You're pitching. I have a romantic comedy and it's set in a concentration camp and it gets, and they pull it off. It's a great movie. Um, if the five movies make it to 2022, I like through voting this year. I think Life is Beautiful wins the Oscar for Best Picture. Now mm-hmm. they're, that the the Academy likes those risk taking stories, can you pull it off? Yeah. Sure, and, sure, and deliver and, it that way. And given the state of the world we live in today, I think you're right. I think Life is Beautiful would probably win. Did you want to talk about any of the casting? Like who could have had the other roles? Like. Uh, for Tom Hanks, they were considering Mel Gibson and Harrison Ford. The Vin Diesel part was actually written for him. Tom Sizemore was battling drugs. And I thought he did a pretty good job in the movie. He almost got fired. Well, he was on the brink of getting fired. Yeah, well, Spielberg said, we're going to drug test you every day. And if you yep. come up positive, you're fired and at any time. I don't care if it's the end of the movie. I will fire you. And we'll reshoot all of it. I, I read that too, but not with the whole Sizemore thing. I'm like, well... Then you just substitute the body, right? Yeah, you can. Yeah, like, oh, he dies earlier in the movie and someone picks up his role, right? right? The, the dialogue and all that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. That's, I guess in a movie like that, it probably could have been easy to replace him. Well, the fact that it's not based off any particular true story. Exactly. Right. They could kill him at any time. Yeah. Um, what did you think of uh, Edward Burns? He was fantastic in the thought. I thought he was really good. He was way better than I remember. He, he yeah. was the medic, right? No, no. no. Oh, which one was that? Burns? The guy from Brooklyn. He had Brooklyn on his jacket. Brooklyn, USA. Yes. He had he had the BAR rifle. Yes, that's yeah. right. He was ready to rank ranks. Uh, I thought he did a great job too. So, Saving Private Ryan comes from our director collection in the Bronco Helmet. This is the last of the Spielberg movies. Uh, speaking of Spielberg, I mean, again, top notch. When I think of movies and who my favorite directors are, uh, Spielberg uh, easily. I can say this now is is number one. What do you think of him against Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk? Which uh, which one do I like better? Yeah, you guys have any thoughts on that? Which one I would watch more? Not necessarily. Which is the better director for this? I was going to save this till we went through the first twenty minutes. Right, we're talking about the beach landing. Right, is it really necessary for the movie? It's a different story. Right, that first twenty minutes, the landing on the beach in Omaha. I mean, it's a bunch. I mean, it's it's horrible war. It's fantastic in its cinematography and that type of stuff. But the story really starts when they get the assignment. Right. Oh, you could you could have introduced Tom Hanks's team any other a thousand different ways, ways. You know, but Spielberg did this on purpose, right? Because. Uh, Spielberg knows how to open a movie. Now, to answer your question, do you really need it? No, not technically, but do you need a cherry on top of your uh, ice cream sundae? I have to go with that I needed that scene. I needed that scene in the reason of this showed what these soldiers have been through and what 
dangerous assignments they've had and just what Tom Hanks alone, his character, what's given him that PTSD that's causing his handshaking. You know, this is the kind of stuff he does all the time. You know, they go on missions like this and then to turn around to start the story of, you know, after that, that he's got to go save, he's got to take these guys who are just battle-hardened and just been through this horrible traumatic situation and go and save one guy. That kind of, to I, me, was a big chunk of the story. I would argue that you can do that in the movie. In- in the scenes that are in the movie. I don't think I would have felt the same about these soldiers had I not seen them just go through all this trauma. I'm not saying you'd cut the whole 20 minutes out, but you could have had the the scene in um, the older Private Ryan walking the beach, right? Mm-hmm. And you can intersperse behind him in his memory all these things happening. He ends up at the gravesite. You look in his eyes, and then it cuts to Tom Hanks in the beach after the battle. You could have interspersed that all in there. I just thought it was really necessary to answer. But then to answer your question, Ken, I think Dunkirk's a better movie from a director's standpoint because of that. Oh, interesting. I'm, I'm picking, I'm in, cherry picking, like I'm like I'm Mr. Director better than Steven Spielberg, right? But in, if you're asking me that question, you know, and watching the movie again, I haven't seen it for you know several years. And I thought, I came away with that thought of the first 20 minutes. Like, I know war is horrible, Sure. Did you really need 20 minutes to tell me that? And is this part of the story, right? Is that critical to the story? And if we just see that they're in battle and they get on the beach and they get the assignment, it doesn't change the movie. It doesn't change the movie, however, what we are getting. And or actually, let me say, it doesn't change the story. No, it, it, it doesn't change the story because, again, you could introduce this team a thousand different ways. But what Spielberg did here, I felt, was we, we, we open up on something that you can't even think of happening, right? It's unfathomable. Everything that's happening in front of you, and it just it's just this bombardment of chaos. And in all of this, we get to meet Tom Hanks, right? And, again, we could have met him any other way, but what – could you imagine any more of a uh, any more stressful uh, event? No, I'm not saying it's like totally bad, right? Right? No, 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 yeah. right? No, no. I see what you're saying. Well, I guess what I'm saying is this gives us a, a great glimpse into who Tom Hanks is, and we're getting his team interspersed here and there. And you know, the fact that they come up and they take the beach. I mean, after that opening and just when the doors come down, it, it's a small victory. And yeah, it's kind of a small movie. Uh, in the beginning, which is fine, but I I think it does a lot to introduce us to our characters, and it's gonna it's telling us you know what kind of a movie we're in for, and I've always been a firm believer that um you know if you if you can open a movie and capture your audience, then you're doing your job, and if it intermixes into the story, great. It doesn't necessarily I I don't think that a, a story necessarily has to start as soon as the credits and till the credits roll. Right. I think we there's ways that we can get into it. And I think the way that uh, Spielberg directed this, especially this opening, you know, I, I think this opening probably got him the nomination. Right. It's, uh, I would go with I would go with Spielberg yeah. over Nolan. It's horrible and it's beautiful and it's well shot. It's a piece of cinematic history. I'm just of the opinion that it doesn't move the movie forward as much as people would think. From right. a dictatorial point of view, right? From a cinematic point of view, from a sitting in the seats, it's fantastic. It's sure. fantastic. Sure, that's a, and that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I have three points. The first point I want to make is that Steven Spielberg wanted to do something to honor the men in uniform, specifically his father. 
And he wanted to convey to everybody what soldiers went through for the sake of the United States. He is trying to honor and to show everybody that the sacrifice that was made is stupendously high. He also wants to show future generations, when we talk about going to war, war is more than just fighting somebody. War is about killing It is about killing other people. And the killing stops, the war ends when one side has said that I am not wanting to have anybody else die. They are tired of all of the dying and they give up. That's what war is. Furthermore, you are going to have these future generations that look at, we should go to war. As soon as it shows up on the internet, as soon as it shows up on the evening news, people lose their stomach for it and they don't want it anymore. Then he failed. Then he failed in that regard because we're still at war. My point, exactly. What I'm getting at is, no, the war in Iraq, people lost their, they they forgot what it is to be at war because they are looking at, they didn't have the stomach for it. And they need to- he succeeded- I'm not saying that he succeeded. He failed at that then. He failed at showing that we could learn from showing the story of the war. Honor people, yes, but to influence that that a movie. There's been a lot of movies that have been trying to do this, right? Yeah, Coming Home, Born on the Fourth of July, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, 1917? 19, 1917 to a certain extent as well. Well, but like you can definitely tell those movies, including this one's like war is horrible. We shouldn't do it again, and we keep on doing it again. Yes, we do. My third and final point that I wanted to make is that there is a very, very interesting little thing that happens to us at the beginning of the movie. We see Ryan's eyes as he's weeping at the cemetery, and we go in tight on his eyes, and then we are in Miller's eyes, and then we pull back from Miller's eyes. And so now we are led to believe that this is the story of Miller, not of Ryan. No, because the eye colors are different. The eye colors are different. You should notice that. I did not. I didn't notice yeah. that either. So Tom Hanks has uh, brown eyes, and then the who knows if they changed the color of the actor's eyes in, in right. you know the actual the actual older Ryan, but his eyes are blue. It's very clear that that and then watching that is like oh because it starts at his eyes, it goes into the battle, and then you get the shaking hands and back to Tom Hanks' eyes. They're a different color. You're like oh. I didn't see the yeah. eyes. And yeah, I never, I never picked up on that yeah, either. That is a different person. And so I think that in general, the audience is led to believe that Miller is going to make it through this story at the end. And it turns out he doesn't. It's just an interesting way to tell his story. And I think that Spielberg is a master storyteller. Would you call this team of soldiers that are you know, journeying to find Ryan a fellowship? And that maybe Ryan was their precious? <laughs> No, he some had to tie it so, into yeah somehow like some way yeah. he does it, and you know what? I applaud you, sir. You can if you can tie that should be your stick. You should be able to tie Lord of the Rings into every movie we uh, review. Challenge accepted. So, Spielberg, question I have for you guys: the the what or like the opinion piece that I brought is like, okay, for Steven Spielberg, what's the most gutsiest thing you think he's done in a film? In a film? Yeah, oh, that's a great question. Quinn getting eaten on the boat. Quinn, that was definitely uh, shocking at the time. You know, uh, the brutality of it. 
Um, but I still think that the opening to Jaws is more terrifying than the the uh, when Quint gets eaten. Of all time, the gutsiest thing. Uh, Saving Private Ryan is pretty fucking gutsy. That's what I think. The the Omaha Beach intro. Well, not only that, but just everything in it. Every time uh, we had a battle at some point, and I figure, you know. The story's pretty simple. Uh, four brothers go to war. Three of them get killed. Their mom's going to get three grievance letters or condolence letters in the same day. And so it goes up the army brass. They say, go get them, bring them home. Tom Hanks and his crew get ch- uh, charged to do it. They go on a quest, like a fellowship. Uh, they find them. They have to make a stand. And then the end, right? So there, I just did the... Okay, but what about Gerard's question? No, that's what I want to get to. Gutsiest thing. I think it's... Fuck, I'm trying to go through all of his catalog in a second. That's what I'm doing, too. It's impossible. It's tough to say gutsiest, but I almost want to answer what was the most eye-opening, impressive thing I've seen him do in a movie. And for me, it was uh, probably Jurassic Park with the pan outs and seeing you, when you first seen the dinosaurs in the background, you know, when they look up. I was thinking see Jurassic the Park as well. But I guess yeah. that could be gutsy. I mean, people might have thought, oh, it looks hokey, right? This is one of those that kind of just, you know, hit you in the heart or hit you, you know. The you, know you know what the gutsiest thing I think Spielberg did was finish AI for Kubrick and try to bring Kubrick's vision to screen and it didn't work out too well but i mean that's got to take guts because kubrick was very eccentric and you know he only wanted spielberg to do it um yeah that's what i'm gonna go with so for me it's casting truffaut in close encounters of the third kind casting who francois truffaut oh oh oh, right right because he's it's spielberg's second big feature film Uh and he casts if one of the two best French directors of all time, probably in the top 25 of all time as well. Yeah. And you're this young Hollywood director coming off of uh, a hit with Jaws and you're putting yourself out there to this observer watching you work. That's probably one of the best directors of all time. I think that takes a lot of guts. Same things along the lines of trying to finish the movie for Kubrick, right? Yeah. I mean, just he wasn't afraid to take risks and he wasn't ever afraid to tell his story. And because of Jaws, he didn't have to he didn't have to take anybody's shit. You know what I mean? Uh, And to have that kind of freedom and power. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of directors get that every once in a while, but they lose it. Right. Spielberg, I think, has consistently shown that he knows how to bring a, a cinematic experience to you. So. He's a he's like Ken was saying, he's a master storyteller and I couldn't agree more. A hundred percent. All right, so let's talk about the opening forty five minutes of this film. The storming um, of Omaha Beach. The storming or of, storming of the beach that they call codenamed Omaha. Yeah, yeah. Uh who wants to go first? It's fantastic from a cinematic point of view, right? Um what's I think John had referenced how long it took to film, several weeks, something like that, or it was at least a week. Just for this one section of the movie alone, the the you know Normandy coming up on the beach, they spent eleven million dollars to shoot it, cast a thousand extras, and of those extras, twenty to thirty of them were were people who had lost limbs, amputees, so they could show you know people you yeah. know losing their limbs. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that didn't work for me, or I had a question about, was the physics of the boats going in the water. Right. Yeah. Does that slow it down at all? Does it make it taking off? the track of 
you know, the trajectory of the bullet. I was like watching this time. I'm like, does that really happen? I did a little research on the boats as they came in. They came in at low tide. That's why we see all those uh, big metal things. Uh, you know, I forget what they're called, but they were meant to rip the holes out of the boats. Yeah. Um, they came in at low tide, but the current was so bad that a lot of the deaths at Normandy, at the Omaha and some of these other beaches were just the soldiers drowning. So I think that's one of the reasons why we had to see these boats come in. And when those big metal uh, landing areas were up, people were using them as shields, but as soon as they went down, they were completely vulnerable. So those are the two big things I took out of that scene was how many soldiers just drowned during this situation, even before they got to the beach, let alone, you know, the poor people who were in the front of the boats just got taken out. I guess one of the biggest things that, you know, I was doing a little research on D-Day and Normandy and World War II and all that, was that before these soldiers came in, they brought in planes and they bombarded the whole beach area because there was, I think... Sort of. There was, well, there was five, uh, I think, beach locations that they hit. Each had a separate code name, um, but they bombed them. Omaha didn't get much bombing, and so that's Correct. why that was so heavy that they came in to still these gunner points or gunner uh, places were just taking out soldiers because it got the least amount of hits. B-17 bombers ended up dropping their payload several miles in and hit probably a bunch of cows or something like that because sure. it was supposed to be this cratered wasteland to soften the Germans when the soldiers came in, and it wasn't. Yeah. The other thing, too, and they kind of briefly touch on this, why Ryan is where he is, is that they also dropped a lot of paratroopers in, right. and they were not where they were supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. and they explained that to us yeah. uh, along the journey. Um, I thought that this opening was, um, it was something that I had never seen before. And I remember feeling um, so uneasy and tense and just trying to imagine, you know, what's happening and, and, and focusing on everything that's going on. And you're right. Uh, he uh, Spielberg makes it a point to tell you that it didn't matter where you were at chances are you were going to die. So the guys that were in the water, they were either sink because their gear was too heavy and they show us a scene of that, or, you know, the bullets fly in and they get, they get uh, hit. Um, and as soon as the soldiers make it to the ship scraper things, the metal mm -hmm. things on the beach, and then the bomb goes off and then we cut the sound and it's Tom Hanks and he's trying to gather his senses. I mean, that is very off-putting. And the scene with the water coming in and the water is just blood red is just, you know, still there's two scenes in this whole opening sequence with the, the beach that sticks with me. One of them is the, the water coming in red. The other one is when the guy gets shot in the helmet and then takes off his helmet to look at his helmet. And, and then gets shot, shot in the again. Head. Yeah. This is where we start to get something that's very special about Spielberg and his storytelling techniques. He is kind of sort of a uh, connoisseur of taking an extended shot. And his extended shots are anywhere from like maybe 30 to 45 seconds to maybe around a minute. And he does several interesting things. The first thing that he does is the camera is not static. He's willing to move with the camera, and he's willing to move around and have his characters move. Another thing that he does is he's willing to follow that movement, and we see this numerous times on Omaha Beach. We also have... he. he he breaks down his camera shots. Sometimes they're over the shoulder. Sometimes it moves into a side. It swings around to the front. So he is always 
mixing up his shots, and he's also willing to have preferably as little special effects as possible. And he is willing to make this happen for an extended time. And so his Omaha shooting, I counted, he had one take that was 15 seconds, another one that was 24 seconds, another one that was a minute, another one that was 30 seconds, another one that was 17 seconds. And all of these, I think you can probably sort of picture these inside your head as Hanks and his crew scrambling around the beach and getting up to the berm. Sure. And in... Uh, just real quick, they uh, the takes actually could have been longer, right? Um, yeah. Because it all comes down to the editing. But you're right. He does like to uh, linger on things and, and do the extended shot. And, I mean, it fucking works. So this movie is not historically accurate for a lot of little things. And I overlook all of these things because I am so swept away with Spielberg and his uh, gravitas in showing us this spectacle of Omaha Beach. You know, it, there's another few moments in the movie where we get to see the first part of Miller and his command that I think, you know, really uh, shows how effective of an officer he is. It's when they want to get the mandoliers to get the explosives up and he gets that done. And then right after that, then they get up to that concrete uh, bunker side and then there's a machine gun, machine gun nest up top and then he calls for three guys. Go! And then three more guys go just like that. Six people, you know, that's, that's a, that's a gritty, tough choice. I got to send people off to die. Oh, I got to send three more people off. Okay. We got to do something different. Yeah. Well, they had, they had to, they had to do something right. And the bit where they're up on the bunker and he's leaning over, telling the guy on the phone what to say, and then getting the information from the other side, going back. And then the dude comes back with no face. I was like, what the fuck? Okay. Well now what do you do? Right, and then they get up to there, and they seem to be trapped. And Miller pulls out his fucking mirror, gets a uh, the chewing uh, gum, the chewing gum, and the knife, and he makes a, so he can see. And I mean, the guy's smart, and and he then gets he, through it. And then he calls up Jackson, and then what does he do? He's got to put himself out there. Oh yeah, to be the decoy. That's right. So he gets into the position. Yeah, and I totally love Horvath. Captain, if your mother saw that, she'll be very upset. Yeah, that was a good line. I thought you were my mother. Yeah. Spielberg, you know, got a lot of credit from World War II veterans saying that this is what the most realistic uh, portrayal of what actually happened. You know, they were so impressed with it. Tom Hanks, I think they made him an honorary veteran of World War II in one of the groups. And then James Doohan, who we know better as Scotty, um, thanked Spielberg I want to touch on one other little moment that Spielberg does, which I was perplexed. Why is this here? And it's right after they get up to the top and they're mopping things up. And we have two U.S. soldiers that are having two German soldiers surrender to them. Do you know the moment of which I speak? Yes, yes. and they weren't German soldiers. Regardless of that, there's a there's something that Spielberg does in in. It, he gets this like spiritual glossy look where it the the colors look blurred yeah. that the flames look they look yeah. blurred vertically and and the whites are blurred vertically as well and i was perplexed why is he shooting it like this and we see it again at the end and it's at the end when we have upham killing him losing his innocence when he kills the german soldier it's all like that again in the beginning. And in, 
And it's, I think, Spielberg trying to say to us that there are atrocities committed on both sides of the war, that nobody is innocent in war. Yeah, you're bringing up a good point, too. And I think, Gerard, you were about to talk about the two soldiers that were killed were speaking. What Czech. Were they? they were speaking Czech. And do you know what they were saying? I'm Probably don't sure. kill me. They were basically bringing up the fact that as the Nazis took over different countries, they basically took the males and put them into the war they were and, fort, yeah. and forced them to fight. So what these Czech officers were saying was, we didn't want to, we didn't kill anybody. We didn't want to fight. We were forced to be here and they still get shot and killed. Yeah. The world's a fucking shitty place. Yeah. Before we cut to the next scene, uh, I don't know if I caught it the very first time, but I definitely caught it this time was, uh, one of the dead soldiers on the beach you see the name Ryan. Well, yeah. yeah. And I don't think I caught that the first time to realize. Mm. And they kind of mentioned it. I think they said two of the Ryan brothers died at the beach, you know, oh. storming the beaches. Yeah. So uh, there's there's an interesting few little moments that happen right in the, in this moment. Uh, we get to meet uh, Caprizo and Mellish, and then uh, we see Sergeant Havarth uh, get his dirt. What were the other two countries of dirt that he had in his pack already? Italy was one, I know. In Africa. Italy and Africa. That's right. And then right after that, we have uh, we get another shot of Miller with his hand shaking, and he drinks from his canteen once more. And then we pull in nice and close. And this is what Spielberg likes to do to get us to feel the emotions of our characters, that he, he wants us to feel what they are feeling. He, he pulls in tight on their faces, and you know, he lingers for just an extra beat or so, maybe. And he is wanting us, I think, he's wanting us, what are they seeing? What are they thinking? And at that moment, somebody says to him, quite a view. And uh, when he, you know, that's quite a view. And then he says, yeah, it's quite a view. And then what does it do? It shows the beach and all of the bodies on the beach. And then eventually we center in on Ryan's pack. Then the next shot is these serious-looking women. And, you know, we have one woman and then another woman. And I'm thinking, I, are they the wives? I wonder if they're the wives. And then the sound of the clacking of the typewriters comes in. And then after the sound of the clacking of the typewriters comes in, then we have different men reading these different letters. Oh, it's the letters back home after what has just happened on the beach. And so this is where we find out that three of the four Ryan brothers have died and uh, they need to go get James Francis Ryan. One thing that I'm sure happened is historically act accurate, but if you think about the battlefield and how chaotic it was and all that kind of stuff, for them to actually keep that straight, like here are our wounded, here are our um, casualties and the people who have died and actually account for that, and get that information back across the Atlantic to Washington, D.C., or whatever the case may be, and just coordinate all that, get the letters written, and, you know, like, I'm saying, you know, there's no internet, right? That's got to take time, time, right? Yeah. And number one, it's amazing that they, they we're able to do it, right? The That type of thing, because, you know, that's the dog tags and all that. So even that scene later when they're kind of the dog tags, like how long till that dog tag turns into a letter, right? right. How long does it mean? It's, mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of, of that time length, I just think it's, 
amazing that uh, the, the army at that time was able to do that stuff. So in regards to the letter scene, we get to have two more extended camera shots that happen with Spielberg. The, uh, the first one is when the woman is determining that there might be more than one Ryan. Yep, sure enough, that shot lasts for 45 seconds as she looks through the letters and then we follow her into the office. We don't hear, and there's no words spoken. You only hear the sound of the typewriter and the clacking of her heels. And then we go over to the other office. When we go over to the other office, we have this urgent conversation that happens with that officer as well as the woman. And then we have a woman stand up in the foreground looking in. And that second shot, that was 40 seconds as well. All of these Feelings, all of these, uh, we know what's going on without any words being spoken. And I think that this is just excellent storytelling. And then right after this, then we are out to the farm. And I love that farm shot because the farm shot, that whole bit, watching the car come in as it comes in on that dusty road and you have mother looking up and then she looks up a second time, but she has a furrowed brow. Why is that car coming here? And then we have this extended shot that lasts about a minute as we are looking at her back at the sink and we see the car coming closer. She backs away from the sink and then the camera tracks as she walks along to the front door and she opens up the front door as the car stops. And frame right to the right side of the door, there are four pictures that are shown in bright light except for this one main picture which is shadowed almost completely by the lamp. And there is one shot of four heads, but the fourth head is almost completely obscured by a little American flag. And above the American flag, you can only see that fourth person's eyes. And I ponder, I wonder if that's supposed to be Ryan, because he's still in the light. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, frame left, the officer gets out of the car, the woman stands on the porch, and then he opens up the back door, when the, and when the priest comes out, she staggers, and then she sits down, and then they sit down with her. So moving, so powerful, no words spoken. Once again, such good storytelling. Yeah. I'm going back to the office a little bit, but how lucky is the Ryan family that the, the woman was able to figure that out? Yeah, well, right? ha- I mean, half, the, half of everything in life is timing, Yeah. right? So, yeah. But yeah, it's not sure. like it's very the, com- the last uh, convenient was, plot point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not that it's unbelievable, but it's kind of like, you know, you get the, you get the, the story is this woman cares so much that she's got the names in her head and she's slowly kind of collating yeah. things. She figures it out for them. And now we are given the reason why it is going to be such a, is it really such a wise use of resources to send eight, eight soldiers off to retrieve one man? And that's where we get our justification why, okay, I guess I'm in for the ride as the general reads Lincoln's letter. Yeah. So, I mean, logically, does it make sense? No. No. Not, not in the slightest. But uh, from a moral and a humanity standpoint, sure. And I think that's what that letter from Lincoln was meant to represent. And as soon as he read that letter and it was Abraham Lincoln, he, you know, he says, go get him, bring him home. And... Yeah, I, I think another thing that is also being displayed in this movie is, as I was mentioning earlier about war and war movies, it's all about killing and it is not about necessarily saving. It is about getting the enemy. And 
we are given subtle reminders throughout the movie that actually this movie is about not being a war movie in a way. We are going to save people. I felt the same way about 1917, that it wasn't that he was going to go and help the tro- you know, troops win the war. He was going to help save that division so and save his brother. So I, I see what you're saying, and I feel the same way about that movie. Because initially, we are told that, no, this is not what we are here to do. When Carpizo is shot, he's trying to save a little girl, and that's why we don't save children, right? Yeah. Because he is a soldier, I have orders, it is not about saving, it is about winning the war and killing the enemy. That is what we are here to do. And this is changing, right, with this letter. It also continues to change in in other small ways as we learn more about our characters in more humane ways. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of characters, this is where we meet our characters. Uh, We've already met Miller. Uh, We've met Horvath. Uh, who else did we meet? Mellish, um, the me- medic. What was his name? Wade. 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 Uh, Carpizio. We've talked about, which is Vin Diesel, and uh, Ed Burns. Uh, Reven. Reven. Who was the sniper? Jackson. Private Jackson. Barry Pepper. Yeah, we met him too, I believe. Yeah. So uh, Hanks gets the orders. He's assembling this team. So it turns out that they need someone that speaks French and German, and this is where we meet. Up him. Let's yeah. let's go back a little bit, about thirty seconds into that though. That let's not overlook the the soldiers. Kind of you can get it's really quickly that they are really resentful for the people that come on the beach after everything's over, right? Yes. That, yes. That, that 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 oh Dennis Freena like hey thanks for you know thanks Miller here. here's your next assignment right. I sent you because it was tough and there's that there's the group that appear after everything's done set up camp and they got the nice little beach office as i was laughing earlier about that but right. the big old sandwich yeah big old the sandwiches are there and you know there is that air of resentment of the full soldiers that are just sitting there resting for whatever's next right. of the people that just got to come on the beach when everything was safe yeah and then also when they get the assignment they are really hesitant and they ask the same question. Is this really worth it? Is this really what we're here for? Is this really what we're going to do? And Miller, uh, for, you know, being who he is, is like, yes, these are our orders and this is what we are going to do. Yeah, and the fact that they discuss it, where they're heading into is just hugely populated right now by the Germans. It's, it's massively controlled. And you have to think from each of those soldiers' standpoint is they just almost sacrificed their lives, you know, to take this beach. And now they're being told my life, you know, I have to now put my life on the line to go save this one guy. Yeah. This time I watched it, I was wondering in the back of my head, how much Captain Miller thought that let's just go out there to where he's supposed to be. We won't find him and we'll come back. How long do you wander around? Yeah. How long, like how long do we try? Well, I I mean, you can only follow the clues for so long. I got that impression that that's exactly what he was thinking when he said, someone said, that's like finding a needle in a needle. No, he, in a pile they, of needles. They, they said a needle in a haystack and he said yeah. needle in a bunch of needles. Yeah. And so yeah. He, he figured we're not going to succeed, but at least we can say we try. And as he puts it, this what gets me home. Then, then this I'll is what it. I'm going to yeah. do. Yeah. So they get the intel and they find out where he might be. And so they head off on their journey. And we get that great shot of the eight of them coming up over the hill. Coming up over the hill. It always reminded me of the trailer. That's where I thought the movie should have started. With that shot. Oh, it could have, but then you wouldn't have got your 45-minute brilliant opening. 
Um, and now we have some chit chatting that's happening. And I love that whole little bit where he talks about the chain of command. You yep. Know, <laughs> uh, you complain to them or you complain to me and then I complain to the uppers. And yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, really like good that dialogue. little bit. Yeah. And we get to know our characters a little bit more. And this is where we, um, you know, see who they are. And uh, nobody likes up him. No. Yeah. Because of the whole... Um, he's, you know, he's too green. He's never no, seen combat. Not that he's exactly. That he came in after the fact. That, yeah. 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 He, uh, he's a map maker and something else. Uh, you know, a translator and a map maker, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the map maker needed a typewriter. Yeah. Neither did I. But, uh, so where do they get to first? They get to this town, the rainy right? town. Uh, we got Paul Giamatti. Yes. Paul Giamatti. I was surprised to see him. And I'm not trying to pile on Steelberg here, even though I'm, seem to is that that wall falling down and the germans underneath are behind the wall i'm like come on well i kind of took that scene as you can't trust anything i mean they're in an area that's just you know so many germans that the germans could be on the other side of the wall you never know where they're hiding out where they are yeah i think they would have heard each other that was the one thing that bothered me about that but the wall coming down and seeing the germans again just puts you on edge and then why don't they start shooting right away yeah why do they start yelling at each other (laughs) i'll tell you why tell us why because steven spielberg is a master at building suspense 25 seconds of them oh, yelling, whatever. going back and forth. You don't know what's going to happen. The audience has to be not breathing, yeah. waiting to see how that's going to play out. And then bartender Sam from the second floor whips out a gun and kills them all. That was fun. That to me was a little much too. No, I, I, I thought it worked just fine because you're right. It did build the suspense. And I, I just got to know real quick. Hang on. Did you time this whole movie? Did you break it down into... <laughs> How can you not? Because of all... I didn't. I sure I, did because when I watched it, it's like, wait a minute, how long has it been? And so I rewound it. It's like, oh my gosh, that was like 22 seconds. I got a job. I can't do stuff like that. So you took like a three-hour movie and turned it into a six-hour movie? I'll tell you what, I hadn't done it before, but why is this movie so good? Because Spielberg tells his story so well. What does he do that makes his storytelling so different from other people? And I think it's, it's largely... good enough to make Ken pop out a stopwatch while he's watching a movie. But yeah. I'll tell Apparently. you what, between the sound and the imagery and his style of shooting, it won a bunch of awards. And it's arguably probably one of his best achievements, as well as probably one of the best war movies also. And, and those are all fair statements. Um, I'm just saying, you know, kudos to you for timing out the whole thing. That's, he, he that's, is, that's probably the most prep you've done for this podcast. But he is the professor. I, I would expect so? no less. What, we've done this many shows and now you're expecting no less? He's never done it before? He, I, Quit, I, hey, I hey, 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 real quick, real quick. Get your tongue out of his ass, Gary. <laughs> did, did I not say last show that his answers are usually very well thought out? And he puts a lot of effort into it, and so I gotta give him credit. And yes, I am tongue in his a hole right now. Yes. But yes. Oh, is a hole? Can't say asshole, can you? Not so, on this show. So can we back up just a little bit? This is where we lose. <laughs> back <Carl>. up. <laughs> Shit. Uh, yeah, let's fucking back up some more. That's great. Caparzo. This is where he gets sniped. Uh, what did you think of Vin Diesel's well, death here? I thought so, he had made a, a comment earlier about not caring about anyone, or didn't he make some comment about, you know, I'm just here to do this, blah, blah, blah. So I honestly thought it was weird that he would be the one to run and grab the kid, like he would be the caring one. I didn't see that coming. I do like the family piece, though. I mean, it. Um, I don't know if any of you have a history of people having been served 
like in your families being served in the military or been in war zones and that type of thing. But, you know, my family being in the Philippines, they lived through that whole World War II thing. And you hear bits and stories of how, how it was to be a civilian in those situations, right? Obviously, as a soldier, it's terrible. But as a civilian, it, I can just imagine, not necessarily imagine, but it's probably 10 times as worse, right? Yeah. That's their home. Like, the guy just wants to, like, have a family, go to work, be with his wife, and his, like, home is gone. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and he's trying to save his uh, kids yeah. essentially. Um, and I was thinking about it. What would I do? Right. If this was yeah. happening and, and I tend to do that a lot. Um, I, is, I, I, I probably wouldn't have sent my kids off with the soldiers, but who's to say, uh, but I did like the bit after everything was all done. When the little girl got back up there, she started beating the shit out of her dad. Mm-hmm. You motherfucker. <laughs> But yeah, it's so, and the thing about this scene and all of it really, but you talk about the family and then what's going on with the soldiers is that at this point I am so immersed into this movie that, um, I could feel the heartbreak from this family. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can feel, uh, uh, Carpazio when he goes down and he's talking about, uh, the letter that he wrote to his dad and how he got blood on it. And, you know, I mean, it's just heartbreaking. My dad served in the Vietnam war. And one of the stories he tells us often, you know, when he's recounting things that happened was where he was stationed. um, The soldiers were given candy, like I think each week or each month or something like that. And him and another soldier would collect all of their candy and then walk to a local orphanage where they would give these kids all of their candy. And he said, seeing all of these kids who basically had lost their parents because of the war and just how their faces beamed when these soldiers came in, he said they would just attach themselves to my dad, and this other soldier, and they wouldn't even eat any of the candy. They just wanted to be with the soldiers and just be with somebody who was like a fatherly figure. And just to see the look in my dad's eyes every time he tells about these orphans and just, you know, the thoughts in his head, he always kind of expresses that he thinks about it often of what happened to these kids. And you can see, you know, what these soldiers must have seen. Like in this case, you know, uh, Vin Diesel's character seeing that those kids up there, you know, we don't know whatever became of that family. And just the thoughts of that, you know, these things that linger with these soldiers after the war is done is just mind blowing. Yeah. So when the sniper gets taken out, that was a practical effect. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of this was practical. That was based on a true story. That was based on something that happened in Vietnam. Uh, so after this battle, they come up upon another platoon. Well, first, they get Ryan. Oh, that's the where, but Ryan. it's the wrong Ryan. Well, that's where they come up to. That's I don't where, think I, I ever realized that. that it was Nathan Fillion in this scene. They should. With the other Ryan. Again, I'm piling on they should cut that scene out. He was horrible in that. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he I was I didn't mind him too much. Yeah. No, it was... I just didn't like it. What did you think of Ted Danson? Well, the character is really the outside justification of someone saying, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Right. Like, he says, yeah, you should go... That's... Follow your orders. Hope you get him. And mm-hmm. he, he doesn't... He's the first person that says that it's worth doing. Right. Right. The rest of the group has their doubts, and should we be doing mm-hmm. this or not? Then. That's the independent confirmation that they should be doing. Right. Well, and I knew that this wasn't the right Ryan because we were, I mean, the movie wasn't even half over. So they weren't going to find him that early. I didn't think so. Uh, The whole, 
not the right brother bit goes on. And um, so now what do they do? Right. So they have to they have a night in, in the church. Yeah. So they uh, have they spend the day, they leave at night, don't they? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. They're there for three hours. Yeah. yeah. They said, yeah. like, catch some sleep because we only got a couple hours. Right. Right. And I, this is where you get a little bit more character building. Yeah. I liked that. You know, this is where we get to learn more about the characters. And Wade is sitting there rewriting the letter. He's taking his three hours that he has instead of sleeping. He's rewriting the letter. And I thought that was kind of a touching point. Yeah. From Carpazio. Yeah. So that there isn't blood on the letter when it's delivered to his father. Yeah. Which sucks because the next day he gets killed. Well, that's something that I also read, which was an interesting Spielberg plot point was everybody who seemed to touch the letter got killed. Well, interesting. I never put that together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well not everybody. Rybin takes it at the end. Uh, does he take the letter or does he take he, Miller's letter? He takes letter? the letter from Miller. He takes Miller. the middle. No, I'm saying everybody Miller. touches Vin Diesel's it's the letter. same letter. Mm-hmm. Is it? Oh, I didn't think that. Yeah, I thought it was letter. Miller's letter. It's, it's, no, same letter. Okay. Same letter. Um, so, so, yeah. they. Oh, I was just going to say, this is where we get to learn mo- a little bit more about our men. We get to hear a little bit more about Miller. Wade talks about his mother. And this is where we're starting to really see that these soldiers, that they that they're tired and they just want to go home. And the, the physical demand that is constantly on them is just so draining and they are just so battle weary. And we get to see that um, Hanks or Miller has this count in his head of how many people and the justification that he uses in order to continue with his duty. I thought that was one of the best lines delivered was the Tim talking about how he deals with it yeah i get the sense that he didn't believe himself that was the doubt i I think that he was tired and he was and he was doubtful he was trying to justify it he justified himself that's the lie he told himself we we see later him break down which um shows that he doesn't even buy it himself but he can't be that way in front of his soldiers right i love how they bring up another subplot of the movie which is what is miller's backstory well, what is his story and that they've all got the betting pool going and we get our first hint of who he really is when I think it was Upton is gives a quote and the first thing that uh, oh, right away Miller identifies it as, as Emerson. And also there's the divide, right, between the, the soldiers and the chain of command. The chain of command. And to the point about conscription earlier, the guys that had college educations – they were automatically the officers, right? Whether they had the wherewithal to be an officer officer or not, oh, you got a college education, you're a teacher or whatever, going to make you an officer. I never picked up on that. And actually, until I watched it last night, I forgot he was a fucking school teacher. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, I remember the betting coming up in the pool. Where you come from, Cap? So they leave uh, this camp and they get to the glider camp and they start asking around looking for... uh, They're getting desperate. Yeah, they, they they don't know where this Ryan kid is. And they start going through the dog tags like they're poker chips. And you can feel the awkwardness building because Spielberg keeps cutting to the the platoon that a lot of these dog tags were from as they keep walking and walking. And the medic that they have, Wade, Wade. Mm -hmm. he notices this. And he's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? If they get through that bag and the name's there, they get to go back. Right. And, that, and that's what they're thinking. That's yeah. what's driving them for sure. Exactly. And, and Miller and Hanks is even hoping. He's yeah. getting, yeah, he's yeah. getting yeah. hopeful. Because he's he's kind of laughing at their back and forth and the jokey mm-hmm. joke and not realizing that this might be offensive to a lot of people. So 
Um, so they get a lead. And yeah, so they, they get... Uh, I, I, I like this bit because the guy can't hear, right? And Hanks is like, uh, Francis Ryan? And the dude's like, no, 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 no. You mean Francis, Francis Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> so they find out where he is and they got to go, right? So this is where they get to that... What was it called? The... Well, actually, so I like this moment again because then we get to see Miller's shaking hand again and everybody notices it and nobody is saying anything. And then Miller picks up on this and he stops and he looks at all of them and nobody says anything. And this is where I feel that we get this bond of brothers that that they accept and believe in Miller completely. They couldn't care less that his oh, hand is shaking. I think that's too early. I that's think too early for that. I also think you don't think that his group trusts him. No, I mean they fight it the, after the, the machine gun thing because of his decision, and we should get to that next. But I think this is where it started to break down and lead to that fighting at because the, they started to see there was a chink in the armor that there was something wrong with their commander that his hand was shaking, and then they get to that next location where he decides he wants to take out these, exactly the space, and now they're thinking. Maybe he's not making the wise. Because yeah, before, so, at the beach, exactly. they didn't question yeah. him. They did what they were well, told. Well, you're just c- contradicting exactly what you no, said. No, I am saying that they believed in him at this time. Oh, at this point. Wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. At which point? Were he right. shaking and they don't say anything? They don't say anything because they still believe in him and they still trust no, him. That's, no, that's I, not. I, I took it as yeah. they didn't say anything because they didn't know how to say, say anything. anything. They're like, oh. Crap. And I think it all goes to shit when they get to this gunnery Absolutely. thing. And, Absolutely. And uh, they say, you know, we could just go around it. And uh, Miller says, no, we have to go investigate. And they do. And they land up losing one of their own. They lose the fucking medic. They do lose you, Wade. Do you think he, they made, or Miller made the right choice? Yes. Oh, um, okay. You go around and I'll tell mine. Uh, I do think he made the right choice because what about the other uh, platoons coming up behind him? I, for me personally, I think that, yes, they had the assignment to go and find Ryan, but taking out this gunner point, this was their job. This is what they were here for. They were here to protect other soldiers. So that's something that they had to do. I had to agree with them. So you're saying yes. Yes. That, okay. That it was okay. something okay. they had just, to do. Just say yes next time. Okay. <laughs> Gerard? So <laughs> this is my favorite scene in the movie, and I don't want to get like tuned to my backstory. But one of the things I do believe is that being a leader is not appreciated or people just don't know what it's to be a leader. Most people don't. And he's faced with bad choices all around. It's, um, if we go around, then we're leaving the Germans to be able to kill other people. If we deal with this now, we're probably going to, I mean, we could lose somebody. Right. And then we have less people for the mission. Right. And so it's, I think, you know, in my, in my work, sometimes I, I have bad choices. Right. And I got to make a bad choice. And sometimes my staff just gives me crap for making a decision. Sometimes when I go, well, you do it motherfuckers in terms of figuring this out. That's my responsibility. Yeah. Right. To decide this for us. And it's that, you know, after the fact, when he's crying away from the, it's to me, it's not that he made the wrong decision. It's that weight of the leadership that, that he's faced with. It's just, there's no win. There is literally no win in that situation. 
And I from I think he chooses what he chooses because then he can see what happens. Right. If he go, if they go around, he doesn't get to see the aspect of that decision. That's a compelling point, right? That at least at least I know. I like I know, but the at least Captain Rose says I know what happened, right? And then not that he would have a clear conscience or anything like, that, but he would know if they went around. Then he's like, that's just this lingering doubt in his head, and it would not be resolved, and he needed it to be resolved for himself so they can move forward. The, the other reason I see for him doing this is going back to his earlier discussion of, you know, sacrifice one to save ten. And I think that's the way he saw it is, yes, he may sacrifice some of his men for this, but, you know, he's going to save a whole platoon that comes by next. Professor, did you have a, was this something that you think they needed to do? I think that this was Spielberg creating a classic, you know, paradox. What is the right answer? And I'm sure that the audience was torn with this. And I have to say, I go back and forth on it because he is a soldier and he has orders. His orders are to find Orion, not necessarily to take out a German uh, machine gun nest but on the other hand this is what he's here to do this is his his job his job is to kill germans and he is faced with this and why would he back away from it because he has never backed away from a fight it really is the weight of leadership on him that makes him cry and um deal with that and then we get back to the group their monday morning quarterbacking the whole thing in sure. front of him, right? We should have done this. I'm in. Um, Ryben. Ryben's like, I'm leaving. This is bullshit. I'm out. And Horvat's going to like, you're following orders. I'm going to. Sh-. You know, like, they, they pull their guns they on pull each their other. pull their guns on each other, right? And it's, that's what they're doing is they're Monday morning quarterbacking what just happened, right? Right. I'm right. No, I'm right. No. And then it really takes the leader to go, hey, if you want to walk away, walk away right he finds a way to actually bring back the team together and he goes and they start digging the the graves for um not only the um the medic but for the other people and then um Ryben has that moment right he's ready to go and then he looks and it pants at them like digging the hole and he just like okay all right, I'll, I'll go do it. And and Miller being a true leader, I mean, he knew how to bring them all back. He brought up, you know, you guys want to know where I'm from, what I did? Uh, and he tells them. This is yeah. where he tells them. He, he I makes was a school teacher. human at this point. Yeah, and that. so I think this is the point where the team rallies. And I think this is the point where the team is going to trust him, and now they're on board because Ryben, like you said, was going to leave, but he stays. Well, here's where also we're introduced to another character who impacts the end of this movie, Steamboat Willie. Are we 100% sure it's the same guy? I don't think it is. It, it is the guy who causes the outcome for Miller at the end of the movie. That's the way the script reads, and that's the way I guess the book version of this movie reads. So you're saying that this guy who's uh, digging the hole, he's the one that shoots Hanks at the end? Yes. Okay. He is the one. He is not the one that kills Adam Goldberg's character up in the tower. That's where I guess a lot of confusion is. If you look at them... Now, the uniform he's wearing at the end of the attack where he shoots Miller is different than the guy that is up in the tower. No, but he, the, at the end, well, we'll get there, he points to Upton and says, Upton. He doesn't say his name. Yes, yeah, he, he does. does. He does say As his he's name. Coming, oh, no, he points to him when Upton shoots him. 
Yes, he points. When he shoots him, yes, that is Steamboat Willie. I'm talking about up in the tower when he walks down the stairs past Upton that's and just the looks only, at him. That's, that's the, not Steamboat Willie. No, that's if you, if that is the same guy coming down the stairs and then that Upton shoots at the end, that's the same guy. I'm mm-hmm. not 100% sure that it's the guy in the hole because that's how he finds up his name because... Well, they're all talking while he's digging too. I mean, he might have heard them no, call him Upton. No, but the guy that Upton shoots at the end is not the guy from the tower. It is because one of the mm-hmm. things that... Not according to the script. <laughs> well, the script is one thing, but okay. in terms of um, Mellish keeps on screaming for Upham, Upton. right? And that's yeah. how he hears the name is because he just says up, 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 because he needs the, he needs the, the um, ammo. He the needs ammo. help. Yeah. He needs help. And, you know, I'm going to watch that again just, just to see. I, yeah. And I and I thought it was the same guy, too, because he's bleeding behind the ear. Yeah. And yeah. I think Upton or uh, Malish injures him when yeah. they're fighting in the fight. So that's why I assumed it was the same guy. The, the reasons that I got for Upton shooting him at the end was because Upton knew he was the one that shot Miller. And so he was basically, oh, even no. though he didn't save, you know, Adam's character, he was going to revenge Miller, and that's why he shoots him. You know, of all the people that are captured, he shoots him because he just killed Miller, and I, he knows it. Upton was right I, there. I thought when Steamboat Willie was going down the stairs that the two recognized each other yeah. from the machine gun nest. No, because if you translated what the German was saying when he was killing Adam's character was just let it happen, let it happen. You know, that's what he kept saying in German. So the impression I got when he came down the stairs was he was done. He had just killed a man. He wasn't ready to kill again, the German that was no. coming down the stairs. And it was I, supposed to give a little bit of humanity to that character. I think it's the reverse. It's like, you fucking coward. You've yeah. been out here all this time and That's didn't do did anything? Yeah. But That's that was, what I thought, that too. was not Steamboat Willie coming down and the stairs. And then why he gets killed at the end is it saves up some secret. Right. I, well, yeah. That, yeah. And, I, and then I the also... The secret that he pushed out in terms of everything that he did. Yeah. Because then it's almost in the look that he gives him as soon as he fires the gun, yeah, right? Like yeah. my secret's safe. No one's going to know I was a coward. Yeah, I I never I never uh, put together that it was the dude digging the hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just assumed that it was the uh, which it, the guy the guy the, in the tower was the guy who yeah. at the it, end it makes it more powerful if it's the same guy because yeah. they let him go. Well, now I'm gonna have to fucking go back and watch I, that I, scene. I gotta figure it out again. And since we've already jumped to the end, let's jump to them getting to this town and okay. finding Ryan. Ryan. We get to see that it's Mad Damon. Um, so they find Ryan, and they're like, "Fuck you, kid. Let's go. We're we're leaving." And Ryan's like, "No, dude, I'm not gonna leave my platoon." Even after and, they tell him, two people died yeah. to get us this far. And then the platoon, they're waiting for reinforcements. You know what I mean? And they kind of think that uh, Hanks and his team are part of it, but he's like, no, we're not part of it. One of the things that's unsaid about this is that the Tom Hanks's crew, you get like, it's what's unsaid is that, dude, if I was Ryan, I'd be gone. I They're surprised that he wants to stay. Yeah. And I think yeah. they, I think they, uh, he earns their respect a little bit he, too, he, they, yeah. especially from Rybin, he, the, he, right? Cause Rybin was res- his number one yeah. opposer. He earns their respect because of that, but right. I, it, that looked at they get like, well, dude, if I was in your shoes, I'd be like, okay, let's go. Yeah. And they kind of know what's coming yeah. too. And so they mm-hmm. look to Hanks and they're like, what do you think? And I think this is my favorite scene in the movie is them getting ready and Hanks running go and explaining to him what a sticky bomb is. And he's using his teacher knowledge and just his education really. Um, and uh, strategy, this, that, and the other. And, and there, there are two bits in this film that 
take me back to Jaws. Sorry, it, it's going to happen. Uh, the first one is in the opening when they're jumping off the boat and the camera's going out of the water and under the water and out of the water, under the water. And this is the other one. Uh, the montage of them getting everything ready uh, was very reminiscent to me of uh, the guys in the boat getting ready to drop the cage and go after the show. You didn't hear the 18 music? No, no. I guess maybe if it wasn't a Spielberg <laughs> flick, yeah, totally. Um, if maybe if it wasn't a Spielberg flick, I would have, but no, no, I didn't. Um, um, one of the things I liked uh, during this whole scene was when they do, when you're talking about when they found uh, Ryan, they found Matt Damon. Um, I loved his his response, his lines of, "Why me? Why should I get to go home and they have to stay?" You know. I appreciated the fact of, yes, he just found out that three of his brothers are dead, but that doesn't make him any more uh, worthy of going home than any of these other soldiers. And he knows if he leaves, that puts him yet another soldier down and they will not hold that bridge. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And he says another important thing that steals us. He says, well, this is the only family that I have now then. Yeah, yeah. Is the whole <clears throat> my mom will understand if you tell her what I did here, she will understand. Yeah, and and that 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 was a great line, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of sums it up. <clears throat> so they get everything ready and they have a moment to breathe before chaos ensues. You know, you got Jackson and a couple of guys up in the tower. Uh, you got uh, the music playing. Is that the scene you're talking about? Where they start playing that French song? Yeah, because uh, you have the four guys uh, talking. Uh, but the the scene that I'm really talking about is when uh, Ryan is talking to Hanks. And, I love you know, that scene. And he's there. He's trying to. Uh, he says, "I don't remember what my brothers look like in this moment." And then Tom Hanks says, "Well, think of a moment. You know, think of a situation." Yeah, yeah. and he tells him that story, and Damon sells it. You know, and it, it, it's it's an emotional scene. He ad libbed that scene when he's. That's what I heard. Yeah. So you know that whole bit where they're getting everything set up. They have a couple of long shots in there as well. Totally, totally dug it. Getting all that stuff it is as we hear the the defenses. You know, we're walking along with them as he's talking. Yeah. And so you know, just a couple more of these shots. Love yeah. it. Um, so they get ready and we're, uh, they, they're playing the music bit. They're telling the stories, Ryan and Miller are having their uh, moment. And then you hear the tanks. That was the big thing, you know, that the whole mood changed the moment you hear that background noise. hundred percent. And it, it was that moment of dread that's coming. Cause you as the audience know something's coming. We just had this big preparation scene. Now we're get, kind of getting to like our characters. And when you hear the tanks, you're like, Oh shit, we still got to go through this. I also think they transition from that waiting to, okay, we're up. This is time, right? Yeah. They, it's game on. And it's that, not that I know this, but the soldier mentality of, okay, now we've been training for this. We're prepared. We're going to go. And it's, that way they mechanize or they actually don't think about what, could, what the outcome could be, right? Yeah. They're going to follow the orders and, and do their plan. knowing you know, like, and that's how they can do it is get rid of, by following the action. They're not like have that thought in their head about they could die or they're hesitating, which is exactly the contrast for Upham, right? All he does is think about the outcome, right? Right. And this whole time. 
one thing, and, and I don't know why it flashed through my mind at this point. Obviously, you know, we had bad feelings towards Upham for not going up there and saving the guy up the top of the tower. Did at any point did you think Ryan's the one that made them stay and sacrifice their lives? Now more people have lost their lives to try to get this guy home. Did you feel any bad feelings about Ryan at this point? No, not one. No, they made their decision. So, you know, I don't, I guess you're right. They did, they did decide themselves to stay and not just abandon Ryan. But I feel like, you know, they might've all lived if they had left, but they would have given up that bridge. And it was locations like that, that helped win the war. Sure. Because that was where they got supplies through because of bridges like that. And so if Tom Hanks group did not stay, they would not have held that ground. For sure. Because it was Hank's plan, mm-hmm. and it seemed to be working yeah, for a little and, bit. And end result is like they held off long enough for the reinforcements that they had to reside. Right, they yeah. held the line just long enough. Just long enough. Yeah. Um. So this is where we get. Uh. The you bat- know, this is our third act, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh, here come the Germans, and uh, they start you know going to war and, and fighting, and this is where Horath, Horath, Horbath. Horbath. Horvath meets his ends. Uh, he gets shot a couple times, and he's still fighting, still trying to get back. Um, they have to retreat. We lose Jackson up in the tower. Oh my god, that when was the tank takes it out. Oh, that was that was heartbreaking for me too because I really liked his character. I watched. Mm-hmm. I, I counted eight. I watched eight people fall down while he was firing his his sniper rifle. So now the Germans are advancing on the bridge, and I was thinking to myself because I kind of forgot how it ended i'm thinking why didn't they just blow the fucking bridge to begin with so that is you know i think I, they should explain that better in, in the script they clearly say this is one of two bridges that don't get destroyed they should have said something along the lines like you know the, we need to use these this bridge before the germans do because you get the sense like well just blow it up and get the hell out of there right and right but the, oh i oh, so were, the allies were coming they need to go the opposite yeah, way direction, right, right, the, right the last straw was to blow up the bridge yeah they wanted to save the bridge and hold them off and that's why they wanted to stop the tank in the middle of that you know compacted area that tight area that you know it would be a roadblock for anything future coming forward yeah right. i just think they could have explained that a little better yeah what's ryan's first name again francis james 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 francis ryan right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. what's miller's first name captain <laughs> reason i ask this is that miller only calls two people by the first name horvath is one of them horvath is one of them and ryan's the other one mm-hmm. oh yeah i never noticed right. that and it's because mike Horv- horvath and miller are friends they've right. been through a lot yep right yep. and then in the end that he extends that friendship to ryan right so they have to pull back uh it looks like all is lost and his they- name is john by the way who's Miller. Miller. Oh, it's not his captain. <laughs> and so... Uh, captain Barney Miller. <laughs> I remember Barney Miller. <laughs> so we're we're at the bridge. Uh, Miller gets shaken, and his head, you know, he's he, he sees it, but he can't reach it. The uh, the detonation. The uh, switch thing? Yeah. The detonator? Did you see it in his eyes? Uh, you know, the second... Or I think this was the third or fourth time I've seen this movie, but you could see in his eyes that, you know, he's looking at that detonator knowing... I'm going to get shot if I go after that. And he's still like, he knows he's going to get killed. Well, he's the last line of defense and he knows that. So he, he's already made up his mind. So he goes out there and all this time on the other side of the bridge, the Germans are advancing and up him is advancing with them, but he's cowering. Right. And and that just drove me up the fucking wall. 
Um, so uh, Miller goes out to get the detonator and either Steamboat Willie or not Steamboat Willie, I don't fucking care, shoots him. And, I mean, now we're going to lose Miller. And it, it was this, I remember seeing it, and I thought to myself, oh, this fucking sucks. This movie's dumb. <laughs> did you did you think he was going to die, or did you think that the medics were possibly going to save him when the reinforcements showed at that up? Po- at this point? At this point, oh, I, I thought knew, he was I, dead. I, I knew he was dead. But, but when the reinforcements showed up, I thought, well, maybe there's a chance he's going to make it through this. I think the optimist in me wanted to see Hanks live, but no, he, 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 he died. And I thought... That when um, Miller, Captain John Miller, was sitting there and he pulls out his gun and he starts shooting, I thought he was trying to hit the wires. That's what I thought too. I I actually thought that. I thought it was just an act of desperation. It it was, and that's what it turns out because, and because what gives that away for me is when he shoots and the thing blows up and then the planes fly over him and you. You as the audience member, you have that sense of relief, but at the same time, you're like, oh, fuck. When we first Miller's that, dying. When we first see that explosion as he's shooting, not, you know, before we know that the, the planes, I thought he hit his mark of hitting whatever bomb was right there that blew up that tank. Yeah. I didn't realize, oh, it's the planes above him that did it. Yeah. So I thought maybe he had accomplished it, not just an act of de- desperation. Yeah. That is the Spielberg, Spielberg moment, by the way, also. Yes. Right, the... Ta-da! Ta-da! Yeah, good uh, guys win, in. bad guys yeah. lose. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. classic Spielberg too. Yeah, the the music uplifts. We get wider shots, and uh, this is where um, Rybin comes up and sees that uh, Miller was shot, and this is where he takes the letter uh, that mm-hmm. was Vin Diesel's dad's letter. So it keeps going on sense. and yeah. on and on. Tacit understanding that soldiers have with each other is this unspoken, unwritten rule that they are bound like brothers, and it, nobody said that anybody else had to write that letter. It was just the right thing for them to do. But right before he dies, I think Hanks delivers the most powerful line of the whole movie where he says to Ryan, earn this. Yeah. yeah. And that's the one, I think, the line that sticks with most people after watching this movie. Sure. Sure, I, I can see that. One of the things that happens in this scene too that I want to get your guys' opinion on is we, Tom Hanks does look over at Ryan and Ryan is like clutching his knees, crying, mm-hmm. right? And I was wondering, is that because he's thinking, "Oh, this is the end," or I should have left when I should have when I had the chance? I think it's both. One of the things I guess we'll mention just to wrap this thing up is the reinforcements; they don't even acknowledge those guys. Yeah. Right. It's just we got business to do. Blah 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 blah. Ryman had to like scream several times for a medic right, right. To, to get attention. Just it was an interesting thing. After this, we get the morph scene of Private Ryan morphing back into the older version. What do you think of the way Spielberg set up that scene? Uh, seeing it in the theater, um, as soon as Hanks dies then it kind of clicked to me. Oh, that's probably Ryan. Right. So it is. And we come out and we are with older Ryan now with his family and they are at the grave of Captain Miller. And this is where he asks his wife uh, or he tells her, you know, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me that I've led a good life. I've led a good life. Yeah. It works cinematically that he does the salute at the end. Yes. But I was thinking, man, he, he, in real life, he would have saluted when he got there. Oh, sure. Right? I well, and to be honest with everybody, I think that that whole the whole bookends of it with him at the cemetery. Um, I don't know if we really necessarily needed that either. So, you know. All right. So, what do you guys think? Should we rate this bitch? 
Sure, let's rate this bitch. Hey, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we call cinematic gold. It's something you're ready to watch anytime. Uh, one, a one fuck is a movie that you're one and done. You've seen it and you're done and you have no desire to see it again. You gave it a chance and that's it. All right, and what's a zero? A zero is a movie that you are pissed off about. Somebody made me watch this. I want two hours of my life back. Fuck you for making me watch this. And we just don't give a fuck. Uh, this was whose choice? Saving Private Ryan. Professor? Oh, yeah, it was the professor. Hey, professor, you go first. <laughs> All right. Saving Private Ryan, I think, is a fantastic movie it is so impressive what spielberg has done he has so many fantastic beautifully choreographed uh uh, cinema uh magic where he has so much that goes so well with his music between you know the the imagery and the music and it flows so well together I really like what he did with the characters, you know, his fleshing out of, of the characters. Reben, he's the all-American New Yorker. Jackson, he's he's cocky, but, you know, in a, in a funny sort of way. Uh, Mellish, he's a Jew who fights Nazis. That's awesome. Wade, he's this really likable guy, but, you know, ultimately he shows his youth and his innocence and he misses his mother. You know, I, I, he's just scared. And I, I thought that Horvath, he was awesome because he's the tough guy that, you know, he can take a bullet and still keep going. He's like the Energizer bunny, just keeps on going. Carpizo, he's another tough guy. But what I like about him is he, he's fiercely loyal, but he's also warm and caring. And I also thought that Ryan, he he is done to perfection. Ryan is somebody that looks at the army as his family that he that that brotherhood of the the soldiers are his 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 that's that's where he wants to be and and i i think that miller he's the honorable everyman he is somebody that has you know such a wonderful uh presence on screen that he just drives this movie home to you know it you know to being such a great movie i can't imagine anybody else in there because he, he's such a likable guy and his character i just buy what he did in the movie up him i kind of felt like that he kind of represented us the audience in a way because he was so darn scared throughout the whole movie completely green and we are watching to so much horror and he has to go through it and eventually at the end you know he finally succumbs to you know war and he he murders that prisoner and after that after he shoots him then he tells the other guys to go away he lets everybody else go i mean what the heck anyway i i think that it's a great war story that has really really uh effectively shown that these soldiers are everyday real people and these soldiers are able to have us not necessarily look at them in a glorified way. And and we have so many war movies that we don't necessarily get that out of our characters. I thought that it was good that it showed that there's good and bad on both sides, right? You know, we saw both sides, you know, not acting honorably, and war is a terrible thing that happens. 
And I think it's probably a lot more accurate than, you know, your average war movie. And I thought, you know, the beginning, the, the, the beach scene, wow. You know, it, I, I felt like that it, it shows, you know, how intense war can be. And, you know, none of us hopefully will ever have to experience that, you know, that, that, that pit and the gut of your stomach. And, you know, we didn't know anything about, you know, the smell of the carnage and the burning and, you know, what that was like. And, and, you know, these are just everyday people that are going about the situation the best that they can. And, you know, hopefully, you know, they make the right decision at the right time. And, and so I have to say that watching this movie is a really big experience it is something that I can't just sit and watch every time because it is such a uh, impactful, powerful movie. It really moves my emotions a lot. I also think that a three-hour movie is one heck of a commitment. So I'm giving this movie 4.75 fucks. Wow, 4.75 fucks from the professor. So Saving Private Ryan, my turn to give my rating. I have been accused in the past of my ratings being all over the place. So I thought I would change things up a little bit um, and not make this movie about my own personal bias. Uh, not just about my own personal bias. Um, I'm not typically a big fan of war movies. And I feel for this movie that that should not be the major impact to my rating on this movie. So I broke down uh, my rating into several different categories that I figured I would average together. I would include uh, kind of the technical aspects of the movie, the script or story of the movie, the portrayal of the subject that was focused in the movie, my enjoyment of the movie, and then my rewatchability or is this a movie I can recommend. So going by director and how the technical aspects and how this movie was shot and how Spielberg did everything and, and all you know, just the technical aspects he brought into this movie – they're just amazing. They just blow you away. And so if I was going to base it just off of that, it would be an easy five for me, the way that Spielberg portrayed the realism and the horror of war itself in this movie. Now, the script is where I think this movie got a little bit less of a, of a rating for me in that, yes, this movie showed the realism of war, but again, the story felt like a secondary story. And there were some things in the movie that were a little bit unbelievable, a little hard to believe. Um, you know, some of the things didn't work for me. Some of them didn't work for me. The fact that, you know, was it Steamboat Billy, Willie? Was it not Steamboat Willie? Things weren't clear and understandable. That hurt my rating a little bit there. When it came to the portrayal of the subject of war, and what soldiers go through, again, top ratings. This movie delivered on the soldier experience. The fact of, I mean, yes, we still don't even know just how much this, you know, these things impact, you know, a soldier's psyche and everything. But just being able to, to see some of the brutality of this movie, of what war is like, you know, it just it's just awe-inspiring. Um, and the fact that Spielberg... Um, you know, when they release this movie in different countries, um, a lot of the countries like India, for example, was not going to show the movie unless Spielberg edited it and took out a lot of the violence. He stood his ground and said no. And India relented 
and said, this movie is so good, we're going to show it as is. Some other countries said, no, we're not going to show it. And Spielberg said, it's not about the money, it's about the movie. And so he did not show it in those countries because of that. So, you know, the fact that he stood his ground and stuck, you know, stuck to the subject again, that would be an easy five for me. Now, my enjoyment of the movie, again, this is my personal bias. I'm not a big fan of war movies, um, mainly because, you know, they're just things that stick with you, that live with you. And seeing all that violence and knowing that this really happened, um, it just hurt, you know, hurts my soul and hurts my heart to see these kind of movies. So I would say my enjoyment wasn't great. Good story, but not a huge, you know, not the movies that, you know, I would typically run out and see. Rewatchability or whether or not I would recommend this movie. Again, easy five because if I had to say, you know, the top war movies out there, depictions movies out there of the ones that I've personally seen, this is number one. This is the movie that I think hits the hardest and sticks with you the longest. Now, if I was to average out all of those scores for those each categories, for this, it's an easy four fucks. All right, so four fucks from John and 4.75 fucks from the professor. So I can go next. Okay. All right. Yeah, um, go ahead. I actually, um, I'm going to equate this to something. So, I like, I like, I like war movies, and uh, they fall into a few categories, right? There's the propaganda war movies where they're a rah rah USA or rah rah whatever country that is being made in, and then there's some that are like uh, Saving Private Ryan that have, um, they're trying to the filmmakers are trying to honor the soldiers and also display like how horrible war is in general like i said earlier like platoon born on the fourth of july coming home full metal jacket definitely saving private ryan are in that vein um that being said like i like watching football games right but then i get this feeling at the end like when i really think about it man there's that some of those guys that are on the field are going to be permanently damaged later in life for the, you know, for the sake of my enjoyment. Right. And I'm not really okay with that. Um, so I think that saving private Ryan is a, it's a, from a cinema point of view, it's a great movie. I mean, I was a little nitpicky with some of the things I said with Spielberg, but you know, like, Hey, Steven Spielberg is a great director. Definitely topped 10 of all time. You know, you're not going to get, you're not going to move them past number 10 for the most part, right? So from that perspective, I think it's a movie that everyone should see. It's a great movie, but I really don't think I can see it again. At this point, I got the message about honoring the soldiers, right? Any subsequent watching is now for my entertainment, and I'm just not going to participate in that because of the sacrifices that those gentlemen and um, women from other, you know, in other combat situations have, have done. So my rating is not about the, and you guys say this is, do you want to watch this again? It doesn't say that this is five Fox's cinematic masterpiece that should have won the Academy Award. If it didn't, it's, I want to see it again. It's one of my favorite movies. I get a lot of enjoyment out of this. And I you know, I don't get a lot of enjoyment out of watching this movie. It's just very hard to watch. If you're honest with yourself, it's very hard to watch. And 
I guess that on the repeat part, I can continue to honor the memories of the people that um, um, inspired the movie, um, all the soldiers of World War II, greatest generation. But for me, really, it's like a two fucks. It's just hard for me to go back and watch that for watching its sake um, because of those things I said. Yeah, there you go. Two fucks from Gerard. 4.75 fucks from the professor and four fucks from John. Well, I guess it's my turn. We've said a lot about saving private Ryan and we've said a lot about Steven Spielberg. Uh, the one thing I will say about Spielberg as, as I was growing up, his movies were my film school. So it's through his movies where I learned about lighting composition, editing and how important editing really was and how music can really move, uh, a story and uh, encompass you into the story. A Steven Spielberg movie to me in all rights is a, uh, it's a cinematic experience, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, it, regardless of what it is, it's uh, a cinematic experience. And that's what I've come to expect when I watch a Steven Spielberg movie. Saving Private Ryan has that 45 minute opening. Right. And then it, and I've always said that if a movie can grab you and pull you in, then it's got you. And that's what Saving Private Ryan does for me. It pulls me in. And I think that that opening was traumatic. I think it was definitely scary, intense. You're sitting on the edge of your seat. Uh, you're hoping that, uh, you know, a bullet doesn't find its way into Tom Hanks. You can hear the, through the sound design, you can hear the bullets flying past you. And you, you, it does everything it can to immerse you into it. And I think that was very powerful. I would argue that this is probably one of the most um, intense openings or one of the best openings of any movie ever made ever. The story was powerful. It was a very simple story that I thought, you know, go go find Ryan and bring him back to safety. The characters and the way the story was told was masterful. Um, as far as rewatchability, the 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 thing I the biggest thing that I have with this film is the ending. The ending is heartbreaking. And I don't go to movies to get my heart broken. So I think that overall, yes, this movie is technically sound it won all of the awards spielberg gets his best uh director uh oscar which he rightfully deserves for this one um but i it would probably make my top 10 for sure of steven spielberg movies but i don't know if it would make the top five i'd have to sit down and take a look at it but even even after all of that i would give saving private ryan four fucks now comes the point of our podcast where we are going to select our next movie out of the Bronco Helmet, and we are going to let our guest Gerard pick for us. In the Bronco Helmet, we have fan submissions, and uh, earlier on, we did directors. We each picked a director out of the hat, and we put in three movies. What directors are left? Uh, I think we still have John Hughes, another Martin Scorsese, and... We're all out of Spielberg. Yeah. And we're all out of Spielberg. Yeah. All right, so Gerard is going to pick our next film, and the next film is going to be... It's another war movie. Another war movie. Wolverine. Red Dawn. 
Red Dawn. Given the state of the world, I think this is a good pick for us now, to watch. Let's clarify. No, 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 no. There is no clarification. There the is only one version. We're watching you the 2012 version. You're absolutely right. There is only one Red Dawn. I know. That's why I said that. 1984, Patrick Swayze, and all the other guys. It's the one with all the music and the singing, right? <sighs> the fuck is wrong with you? All right, so I think that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. I just want to thank Gerard again for coming out. We had a lot of fun. I hope you had a good time. Thanks for having me, and hopefully I can come back. <laughs> Gerard, since you are our second two-time uh, repeating guest, uh, you now have a seat at the table anytime at Three Guys in a Flick. Hey, John, where can they find us? As always, they can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where after the shows, we always post the podcast as well as our show notes. They can find us on all of the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter. You can find us on most of the podcasting hosting sites, including Podbean, Spotify, iTunes. They're all listed on our website. So again, our website, threeguysinaflick.com. All right, so I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Be sure to tune in next week where Ronnie's going to make his debut, and we will be discussing heat. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. And Gerard. Thanks for listening. Now that we've finished talking about Saving Private Ryan, let's get into Saving Brian's Privates. All right. So what was your favorite scene? Uh, the part where they saved his privates. Well, they do that through the entire fucking film. Did you guys not watch this? You know, me and him the only ones that watch this fucking thing? But here's the thing about that movie. You know, in, in Saving Private Ryan, we saw, you know, the hell that these soldiers went through. I don't know. That guy's little soldier went through a lot of hell in this movie. Uh, I don't know if I would call that hell. Right. Uh, it's from Spielberg movies that I even uh, would think about lighting or composition. Sorry. What the fuck just happened? I have it on turned off, but it's Bellamy. So it goes through. Uh, tell her you just interrupted the fucking podcast. And now I'm pissed. No. It just makes more sense to you now. Yeah, well, most of that generation's gone, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> she walked back to the family. All I could picture her saying was, yep, dad lost it again. We got to get him back to his fucking home. When when we were watching this movie. How dude, fucked up was that, right? Totally. It's a, it's a, it's shaving a Ryan's privates. Saving Ryan's privates. No, it's a shaving. Oh, it's called Shaving Private Ryan? I don't know. I haven't seen it. There was a poster way wait, back wait, in the day. How in my did college you know days. that? Because, because there was this poster and it was filled with all of these different titles of porn movies based on actual movies. And so that was one that I remembered. Another one that I remembered was Rare and Pleasant Danger. You know what? I... <laughs> I've learned too much in the last two minutes about you that the guys that I want to forget. The only one, only two that I can think of was Edward's penis hands <laughs> and Flesh Gordon. Yeah, well, as a person who does not watch pornography, I don't know what to tell you guys. I watch cinema for my enlightened experiences, and you two are just perverts. I'm, I'm not arguing that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, fuck off. Good night.